Let me break in real quick and ask you a question personally. I mean, this is a very serious thing that's attacking the healthcare system. The lack of ventilators, these decisions that some of the doctors are having to make. Did you think you'd ever see something like this in your lifetime? Never, never ever. This is the Health Nexus Podcast, powered by Jefferson Health. I'm Gianna DiMedio. Today, we'll talk about the coronavirus or COVID-19. We're in mid-March 2020, and at the time of this recording, the United States has surpassed 10,000 cases across all 50 states. It's an escalating situation, and experts say it could be weeks before we start to see a decline in the number of new cases. In a bit, you're going to hear from Dr. Bruce Meyer, He's the president of Jefferson Health. Before becoming an executive, he spent many years of his life as a clinician and a researcher. He's dedicated his life to medicine. He's a leader, a doctor, but most importantly, he's a member of this community. He wants what's best for this country and the city of Philadelphia. Today, he shares some important messages to ensure we understand this pandemic and what you can do to help yourselves and each other. First, thanks for tuning in to the Health Nexus podcast. Visit thehealthnexus.org for more of Jefferson's coverage of the coronavirus with articles from our many experts. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite player so you'll never miss an episode. Now to Dr. Bruce Meyer. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. I first want to address that during this outbreak of COVID-19, we're being told to stay socially distant from each other, and you and I are adhering to this right now. We're opting to do this interview via teleconference and Zoom instead of being together in the tiny sound studio. It's little decisions like that that can really make a difference here. Before we get into the specifics of staying socially distant, let's talk about how kindness and understanding throughout this unprecedented time can really make a difference. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, this is a very difficult and complicated time. And the difficulties are not just for the next couple of weeks. Uh, and it's hard to know whether, in fact, we will, uh, how long this is going to continue in terms of how long we have to socially distance. But uh, it is highly stressful for everyone. All of your normal patterns are disrupted. In addition, because we are socially distancing, we are taking ourselves out of all of the normal things that help us in terms of gesturing and how we interact with each other regularly. So we typically show compassion as an example, not just through words, but also by physical touch. We hug people. We we touch people's shoulders, that kind of thing. Now we're telling you, please don't do that. Please cease doing it. So you see people who are stressed and you say to yourself, I shouldn't do that. And then if we do the things that are just utterly normal routines, we shake hands, right? That is almost a reflex. We shake hands and then we go, oh my gosh, I got to wash my hands. I can't touch anything until I wash my hands. Um, So all those things disrupt our normal ways of coping and they really reduce our resilience. We've got to do is really say to ourselves, how do we maintain compassion for ourselves? How do we do self-care? But also how do we maintain compassion for others? Yeah, and especially healthcare workers at this time particularly for healthcare workers. The stress level for healthcare workers is enormous. They're on the front lines, particularly as an example in our emergency rooms where people are seeing patients come in who may well be infected with COVID and they're worried about their own potential for infection. Um, It's just enormously stressful. 
data out of Italy is very different than the data out of Spain, as an example. Italy is seeing a much higher hospitalization rate, much higher death rate for older people, but also a, a higher death rate for younger people. Mm. You're bringing up a point that this is this is global. You know, it's affecting other countries, other continents. And it's important to remember that while this is affecting people personally and their lives are disrupted, this is something that we're all going through right now. So to try to just have some understanding and compassion for what everybody, including these people on the front lines, are going through would be very, very helpful for everyone, right? Exactly. Uh, everybody is affected by this. There's nobody right now who's immune to the virus. Um, we will create a crowd of people who had infections and then survived, who would then theoretically have some immunity. But right now, th that population is incredibly tiny and mostly in China. Um, so everybody is under stress. And so all the people you normally rely upon, who their lives are less stressful and they can help you, their lives are just as stressful. Right, right. So it's crucially important that we take a step back, we take a deep breath before we respond emotionally, that we try to pay attention to compassion for others and that the enormous stress that other people are under may be invisible to us. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of times people are very effective at hiding their stress level or what they are stressed about. And it may not be stress at work. It may be stress at home, but it affects their work or vice versa. Mm -hmm. And now when their work is at home, <laughs> it now might be even more home, compounded. It all gets, it all gets intermingled. So yes. particularly for families whose kids are out of school, but now they are doing, in essence, homeschooling, something that the vast majority of us never signed up for. Right. Suddenly we're trying to figure out how to be teachers and how to keep our kid doing work in the eight hours a day that they normally do work at school. Right. And you have two little ones at home. Two little ones at home. Uh, I will say it's incredibly challenging. Little, our littlest one is three. So it's really Montessori school. And, I, you know, and we're fortunate to have a big backyard and he can run around. And <laughs> he can get that energy out. But for our third grader, I have learned how hard it is to be a teacher for third graders. Mm. It is really hard. <laughs> let's go back a little bit. Uh, let's talk about the reason behind staying socially distant. We keep hearing that we need to put these practices into place so that we can, quote, flatten the curve. And it's this phrase that seemingly came out of nowhere. So many people probably have never heard of it. I never heard of it before. And now you can't turn on the news or go onto social media without seeing it all over the place. So simplify this for us. What does this really mean and why is it important? The easiest way to explain it is a hundred year old uh, incidents. So the Spanish flu in 1918 in the United States came through and it was very similar to what we're experiencing now. It was a new virus that no one had immunity to. And uh, there were very different responses in very different cities. Unfortunately, at that time, Philadelphia was way behind the curve and from the first reported incident, it took Philadelphia three weeks to institute social distancing, meaning trying to keep people away from each other, trying to keep crowds from gathering. And the incidence of fatality and incidence of disease was enormous. And it overwhelmed the hospital system. And a lot of people died because they could not get care because there weren't hospital beds at that time oh, at wow. all. In contrast, St. Louis, at, in, the, in two days after they had their first incident of disease, went to social distancing immediately. And their fatality rate was less than a third of Philadelphia's. That's a significant difference. And their hospitalization rate less than a third of Philadelphia's. Very, very stark differences. 
And so the social distancing that they instituted was really around the issue of how the disease is communicated. So we think this is spread by droplets, very, very tiny droplets. And uh, th those come that, that are basically sprayed every time we talk. As I'm talking here, I'm spraying droplets on the computer screen. So the, those droplets, because they are affected by gravity, hit the ground between three and six feet away. The, uh, the idea is that you don't expose yourself to droplets that might get on your hands or your face or your clothes, and then you touch it, and then you touch your mouth or your eyes or your nose. Right, right. Just things you do naturally. You don't even think about it. You which just we do, do it. naturally. And while we have told people, please don't touch your face, <laughs> that is like next to impossible. <laughs> Right, the the average person uh, touches their face approximately eight times an hour. Um, now, it interestingly, is less for women. Huh. We think that's related, interestingly, to makeup, in that women put on makeup and then they tend not to touch their. And they want to leave it there. They don't want to mess it up. Because they want to leave it there. <laughs> Men don't do that, right? Um, and uh, and if you look at the incidence of disease. What we see, in fact, is that it is a little more prevalent in men than in women. In addition to social distancing, we want hand washing. Mm -hmm. Because uh, we know that washing your hands with soap for 20 seconds or more kills the virus. We also know that using hand sanitizer that's at least 70% alcohol, uh, and that's important, 70% alcohol, uh, also kills the virus uh, reasonably effectively. So anytime you have touched, uh, you know, your other surfaces or you've been exposed to other people or that kind of thing, it is important to wash your hands. And because we know that the virus survives on surfaces for an extended period of time, as an example, survives on cardboard for about 24 hours. Wow. So we're all getting Amazon deliveries at yeah. home now because we're all at home, right? If your Amazon delivery person or the person who stocked that to your Amazon delivery person was shedding virus, there's potentially virus on that cardboard. So when you take that Amazon box into your house, what you should do is empty it, get the box in wherever you, in your garage, wherever you put out your recycling, um, and then wash your hands. Go wash your hands. Yeah. Okay. That's great advice. Right. Okay. On flat surfaces, solid flat surfaces, we know the virus can survive for as many as three days. Wow. So it becomes important to wipe down surfaces with something that kills the virus. Um, the hand sanitizer does that, but it's kind of precious. And yeah, I'm not sure you want to use that for surfaces. Ideally, you want to use something that's got bleach in it. Okay. Or something that's got 70% alcohol. So you're explaining this, you know, staying six feet away because that helps the droplet kind of dissipate in the air and not get to another person. And then cleaning surfaces and making sure you're being mindful of how they might be transferring inside the home from somebody outside the home. So in order to do this, there have been a lot of changes in our society and daily lives of Americans over the last few weeks. And there are a lot of opinions on how this is being handled. You know, is it too much? Is this overkill? Is this all really needed? What's your stance on this? For, for example, the decision of major sports leagues to suspend their seasons. Governors are ordering closures of non-essential businesses and organizations like Jefferson moving meetings online and having staff work from home where possible. What do you think about all this? First, I would applaud the major sports leagues um, and the governor and the mayor for what they have done. Uh, I might make the strong argument that we should have done it two weeks before we did it. Hmm. 
utterly critical. And that experience between Philadelphia and St. Louis back with the Spanish flu illustrates why. Right. Sooner that we do these social distancing things and we don't allow crowds to gather, the lower the incidence of disease is over time. And the more uh, prepared the healthcare system can be to take care of the people who are truly sick. Uh, and if you look at the experience of different countries, you can see that profoundly even in this COVID-19 outbreak. So as an example, when you look at South Korea, where they instituted social distancing very early, um, what their health system has not been overwhelmed yet. In other words, they've had enough beds and enough ventilators to take care of all the patients who have been ill. In contrast, Italy, which did not institute social distancing very early, is now having enormous yeah. overwhelming of their health system to the point where they are using auditoriums with cots to house patients who are ill. They have run out of ventilators and they are literally at a place where they are truly rationing care. Yeah. They are saying that people who are over the age of 80 uh, basically are not eligible for a ventilator because they have to save the people who are 40 or 50. Yeah, there's a lot of scary stories it's coming out from incredibly there. tragic. We are seeing similar things like that in Washington State here in the United States today as we speak. They don't have enough ventilators for all the people who are ill, and they're having to make very, very difficult decisions that no one wants to make about who, how to triage who gets a ventilator. Um, that is what we are deeply concerned about. That is why we want the social distancing. That is why we don't want people gathering. That's why we want people hand washing. That's why we want people cleaning surfaces, et cetera. Let me break in real quick and ask you a question personally. I mean, this is a very serious thing that's attacking the healthcare system at this time. Like you said, the lack of ventilators, these decisions that some of the doctors are having to make. Did you think you'd ever see something like this in your lifetime? Never, never, ever. Wow. Um, it's a, it, look, I read a lot of, I mean, in school, I read a lot of books about the great influenza and the black plague and the Spanish flu. And it's, and I understood why, because Candidly, we've been lulled to sleep a little bit by the advance in pharmacology and vaccination. Um, our grandparents all experienced polio and what a tragedy that was and how many people it killed or, or maimed. And um, we haven't experienced that at all, right? I, I eventually guess no one who listens to this has even seen or met anybody who had polio. Um, so we've gotten used to modern medicine being able to stop and mitigate enough these kinds of situations. And even as a medical professional, I kind of believe that as well. Yeah. But that's where we are now. And we had these incidents, SARS and MERS, which were these novel viruses, but um, because, of the, because of the transmission rate was relatively low for those viruses, we were able to contain them and really, really stop them. That's our problem with COVID is that the transmission rate is very high. It's much higher than the common flu even. It's like right. threefold the common flu. And because the transmission rate is so high, it has gotten away from us. And right. we are not at the containment stage anymore. With SARS and MERS, we contained it and eradicated it. Right. Do that with this uh, virus because it has escaped containment entirely. Well, it seems like the transmission rate and also the unknown, we're kind of learning as we go here. And I, I loved what you said that we would, we're, we were lulled to sleep with modern medicine. We were able to kind of put it in the back of our head and not think of it. 
we're certainly waking up now. We're doing this all as it's happening, trying to find out how long does it stay on surfaces? How does it transmit? We're, we're learning all of that now. Correct. And we're fortunate that modern medicine can do that at a relatively rapid pace. But despite what you may have heard from various sources, the most the most incredibly speed, incredible speed that we could produce a vaccination that would be effective would take about a year. We have a lot of vaccination trials going on right now, but they are the trials that say, is this vaccine safe? Does it hurt you? Can mm-hmm. it kill you? Then there's the dosage trials that have to go on to figure out what dose of vaccine do you need in order to get immunity? And then you have to look at side effects of the vaccine. So you got to do it in a big enough population to see whether the vaccine has side effects that are dangerous. And then you got to mass produce the vaccine so you can vaccinate literally hundreds of millions of people. Right. There are a lot of people that need this right now. That's why it takes a year. Okay. Scenario. So there's a lot of steps that are involved in that. So that's what's also scary about this is that there's no medical properties or vaccines for COVID-19. I've heard you say medicine cannot actually defeat this at this time, but people can. And that's inspiring because it, it does make people feel like we do have a hand in the future of this virus. Some of that in talking about the socially social distancing, making sure that we're adhering to these guidelines that are being put out by these governing bodies. What are the main takeaways that you want people to leave this interview with that they can do right now to help stop the spread of this, help their own health, help the healthcare workers? Because, you know, they're people, too. They can certainly get sick from this. You know, what do you want people to know? First, it's that. If we do the effective social distancing and we do the hand washing and we protect our elderly and we protect the healthcare system from being overwhelmed, then we can get through this successfully uh, and emerge and and you know have good lives and have stable lives and normalcy will get restored. If we don't do those kinds of things, we're going to lose a lot of people. Mm. If the death rate from this is only one percent, and recognizing that's about. 10 to 15 times the death rate from the common influenza that we see every year. But if it's only 1% and you assume that a third of the United States gets infected, so that's 100 million people plus get infected. Oh my goodness. That million people will die in the United States. Wow. Million people in the United States. It's hard to conceive of. Absolutely. Alpha area, that translates to something in the neighborhood of 20 to 25,000 people will die in Philadelphia Mm. from this virus. That's very scary. Um, We can really mitigate that significantly if we do all these things for each other, but we're doing it for each other and we're doing it for, you know, candidly, our loved ones who have chronic diseases. And a lot of us have loved ones who have chronic diseases. Right doing it for our grandparents and people over the age of 60, but primarily people over the age of 75 to 80. Right. You're hearing that a lot, that it's like, even if people think, oh, I'm healthy, I can handle it. Well, you may be transmitting it to somebody who can't. So be mindful of that. Exactly. And the reason to put little kids out of school is not because the death rate in little kids is high. It's not 1%. It's a fraction of a percentage of 1%. It's very, very small. In fact, it's much less deadly to little kids than that common influenza is. But it is extremely deadly to people over the age of 80. We're trying to protect our grandparents. We're also trying to protect all our the people who have chronic diseases. And we probably don't know who those people are. Right. Because walking around, you know, and they look fine to us. Right. But as an example, 
anybody who's on an immunosuppressive drug, who's had a kidney transplant, anybody who's had any, any kind of solid organ transplant, anybody who's had a bone marrow transplant, anybody who's had cardiac surgery, anybody who has diabetes, um, people who have complications from hypertension, all of those people are at much, much higher risk for death from this disease. We just don't know who those people are, but right. there are a lot of us out there around the country. And if we can all rally around this and say, we're doing this for the protection of everybody in society, um, we need to think a little altruistically that way. Yeah. Not selfishly. We can all have a hand in saving lives because by doing these measures, social distancing, hand washing, cleaning surfaces, we are protecting everybody. We individually don't have to be a healthcare worker. What you are doing by doing that work at home is saving lives because the disease doesn't spread. And when the disease doesn't spread, people who are vulnerable don't die. I thank you for your time. Is there anything else that you want to add that we didn't touch on? I would just say that uh, I think it's really important for people to think about how they can not just keep themselves and their families safe, but how they can keep everybody that they care about and their entire community safe. And the way to do that is really to think about and comply and do the things that help prevent the spread of the disease. We've talked about them all. Congratulate and applaud folks who are really trying hard to adhere to that and to do their best to take care of their community. And then the last thing that I would say is it's really, really important to do self-care. So whatever it is that helps you reduce stress, whatever it is that helps you manage stress and maintain your resiliency, don't ignore that. It's even more important to do those things now than eat none before because stress levels are high for everyone. Right. That's great immune. advice. No one is immune to the stress and no one is immune to the virus. So please do self-care and take care of yourself and your loved ones in an emotional and a physical sense, not just in the sense of doing these precautions. That's great advice. Dr. Bruce Meyer, thank you so much for your time and thank you for everything you are doing to help the community at this time. My pleasure. Visit thehealthnexus.org for more stories from Jefferson Health and follow Jefferson on Twitter at TJU Hospital for up-to-date information on what you need to know about your health. Thanks again to Dr. Bruce Meyer for his time today and for all of his coordination within the community to ensure the health of our families and our healthcare workers on the front lines. Production support for the Health Nexus podcast is provided by Dan Bernstein. I'm Gianna DiMedio. Thanks for listening.